0: This Saturday specifically is Shabbat Shuva, which is the Sabbath of return. And Shabbat Shuva occurs on the Shabbat that is between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur every year. And you know, right now we're still in the days of awe, the ten days from Rosh Hashanah leading up to Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur begins Sunday night at sundown. And so we're still in this time of like, humbling ourselves, turning to God, being in awe of who he is. As I mentioned earlier, throughout the whole month of a little, one of the themes is that the king is in the field, right? Well, God is very near and present, and he's revealing himself to us that we could see the nature of our king, right? And that we could desire him, his righteousness, his justice, his attributes, and turn from what we have walked in that is not righteous, and choose our king and follow after him. This is a time of rededication of our, of our hearts and our lives to him. It's one of, of awe, where we're in awe of his greatness, right? We need, we need the reminders of his greatness. And so the, the haftarah portions, our portions from the prophets today, um, come from Hosea. And, I'm, Chelsea, I'm sorry, I'm throwing a wrinkle here. It's, it's not in there, so you don't have to look. <laughs> um, so, it's uh, from Hosea, Joel, and Micah are where the verses come from. And Hosea 14, verse 2 starts out with, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled through your iniquity. It says, Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, Forgive every sin and accept goodness, and let our lips substitute for bulls. Let our prayers substitute for our offerings. Assyria cannot help us. You know, so then they say, But man cannot help us. You alone are our strength. And in Joel, you know, the call is for us to call an assembly, to rend our hearts and not our garments, to turn to the Lord fully and love and adoration. And of course, if you recall from uh, the Tashlik the ceremony down on Rosh Hashanah when we symbolically cast our sins into the into the water. We had the the reading from Micah, chapter seven, verse eighteen through twenty, that says, Who, O God, is like you, who pardons iniquity and overlooks transgression for the remnant of his heritage, who has not retained his wrath eternally, For he desires kindness. He will again be merciful to us. He will suppress our iniquities and cast into the depths of the sea all their sins. Grant truth to Jacob, kindness to Abraham, as you swore to our forefathers from ancient times. In the midst of it all, there's this this hope of return. The hope of our return to God because he stands with open arms. But then also the hope of the return of Yeshua and the promise of the restoration and the redemption. So, this portion for this week is called Ha'azinu, and it's Give Ear. It's the Song of Moses. Okay? And the whole portion is chapter 32 of Deuteronomy. Uh, Almost the entire thing is the Song of Moses, and it leads right in with his song. So, really, we need to back up just a little bit and go back to... Chapter 31 to give the introduction of the Song of Moses. Now, a couple months ago, as we were beginning to start talking about Deuteronomy, I mentioned that the book of Deuteronomy all takes place in the last five weeks of Moses' life, right? So he gave, he talked a lot during that time, right? And, and you think about it, what he was doing is he, was, he knew his time was short and he knew that he would no longer be with the children of Israel. And so he needed to leave them with a clear understanding of who they were, what God's Torah was, and what's expected of them, the people that they are to be. And so he was leaving behind teachings and a legacy, right? And then, you know, we talked, I think it was uh, two weeks ago, about how every seven years, all of the people in Israel would come to Jerusalem and they would hear the Torah read such that they could... Um, and it's, you know, reading specifically from the book of Deuteronomy, which was, were these teachings. But now chapter 31 and chapter 32 are Moses' last day of his life. Okay. Now, I want to read from Deuteronomy 31, 16 through 22. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you are about to lie down with your fathers, Then this people will rise and whore after the foreign gods among them in the land that they are entering, and they will forsake me and break my covenant that I have made with them. Then my anger will be kindled against them in that day, and I will forsake them and hide my face from them, and they will be devoured, and many evils and troubles will come upon them, so that they will say in that day, have not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us? And I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil that they have done, because they have turned to other gods. Now therefore write this song and teach it to the people of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the people of Israel. For when I have brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to give to their fathers, and they have eaten and are full and have grown fat, they will turn to other gods and serve them and despise me and break my covenant. And when many evils and troubles have come upon them, this song shall confront them as a witness. For it will live unforgotten in the mouths of their offspring. For I know what they are inclined to do even today, before I have brought them into the land that I swore to give. So Moses wrote this song the same day and taught it to the children of Israel. Okay, so Moses, his days have come to an end. And God tells him, Your days have come to an end. But you need I'm gonna have you write this song. Now Moses is 120 years old, and for the past 40 years, he has been actively in the role of redeeming Israel and leading them through the wilderness, through all the trials, all the challenges. It is a life that was spent on the children of God, you know, on his brothers. And now, at the end, after all of his hard work, He's, he's about to go on and God says, after you die, these people are gonna turn away. So it could be disheartening, right, to Moses to hear, I've worked so hard, I've brought the people, we're about to go in, your promises are about to be fulfilled and then you're saying it's all gonna get undone? Whew, that would be a heavy, heavy word to hear, especially after all that Moses did and he was faithful in all God's house, right? So it was nothing lacking on Moses' part in, in what he did in bringing the children of Israel to where they were. Instead, God said, I know the inclination of this people's heart. You know, and there will come a time that they are going to turn away after they have come in, they've eaten of the land, they've become fat, their hearts become dull, and they'll turn away. But he doesn't leave Moses without hope in this either. Instead, he says, now I want you to write this song for the children of Israel, and this song will stand as a witness for all their generations, right, through all time, and the intent of this song is to awaken the people while they're in their sins, while they're in their stupor, to realize where they came from and who they are, so that they can then repent and turn back to God and have restoration, right? So Moses was given something special to give to the children of Israel that would be remembered and heeded. When, when heeded, it would turn the people back from their captivity. Right? So even though Moses would be taken up and removed from them, that song would remain with them to lead them into truth. Now if we look back, and we're going to go back here to Deuteronomy 32, um, in verse 17, right here in the middle, this the scripture says the people will say, have not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us. Okay, this is, a, this is a key statement because if we, okay, we're gonna go back and read this a little bit. How about that? So God said that, This people will rise and go after the foreign gods among them in the land they are entering. They'll forsake me and break my covenant that I've made with them. So the Lord says the first thing, well, not the first thing they're going to do, but at some point, the first thing that brings about the problem is that they are going to become captivated by the gods of the land of Canaan, right? And they're going to stray away from God. So number one, they're going to break the covenant and stray. And then... The response is, God has to bring judgment so the people would turn from their ways back to him. Right? And so he says, I'll hide my face from them. And then he, he says that they, they, the children of Israel will then remember. And they'll say, all this evil has come upon us because God's not among us. But yet then God says his response to that, well, he will surely hide his face in that day. So you had the people rebel and turn away. God hides his face. The people have some level of remembrance where they say all this bad stuff's happening because God isn't with us. And then God continues to hide his face. You know, we might look at that and say, well, why did God continue to hide his face? Right, because didn't the people come to a remembrance and a recognition that something was wrong? Well, they did come to remembrance that something was wrong, but the response wasn't, we have turned from God and broken his covenant. They said, he's just not with us. Where is God? Doesn't he see my trouble? Why isn't he rescuing me from the trial? See, there's there's a difference here between a recognition that something is wrong like a felt unease, and repentance. There's a difference between remorse and repentance, okay? Because we can recognize something's wrong, but if it doesn't cause us to turn back to God, we haven't made the full journey back to return, right? If we're sad but we don't change our ways, then we haven't made return to God. Instead, we've taken one step that is critical in the process, right? Because we do have to first recognize what's going on, what, where we've sinned, where we've fallen. And we have to have remorse for it, a desire to change and to go back. But then we actually have to have the action that follows that recognition and that remorse to bring the completion of the return. Amen. So that's why in the scripture here, God said, even after they've remembered and said, God's not with us, that he continues to hide his face because he must continue to bring those judgments for the return to be complete. Otherwise, people will just continue in their way and think everything's fine. I mean, what if God did show up and just deliver them from all their troubles and and say, hey, it's okay, do whatever you want, I'll take care of you? Then he wouldn't actually be safeguarding the covenant. He would be treating the covenant as common, right? But instead, he wants people with a whole heart that's turned to him. And so that's why he will persist in bringing about the calamities that ultimately bring about the return. But of course, God's desire is that at the first sign of him hiding his face, that we would remember and we would turn and not have to go to the depths of the trouble. But he gives this song to Moses, right? That would stand throughout the ages, standing as a testimony and help to facilitate bringing about the plan of God's restoration. <clears throat> okay, so let's, um, all right, before we're going to go look at the song, um, but there was a verse here. Let me see where it is. There was a verse within this that I wanted to highlight because when God tells him to write this song, he specifically says <clears throat> in, in uh Deuteronomy 31, verse 19, actually. It says, write this song. Okay, this scripture, this is why I didn't have it. Okay, this translation doesn't have this, but this is an important part of the translation. He said, so now write this song for yourselves and teach it to the children of Israel. Place it in their mouth so that this song shall be for me a witness against the children of Israel. The for yourselves, I think, is key. And this. He says, write this song for yourselves. He didn't say for them. God said to Moses, write this for yourselves. Moses was one with the people. Moses was one with the children of Israel. So when he was writing this song for them, he was writing it for him too. Right? Because there was an inseparable connection that he had. So within... Within these things, we're going to come back to this, I'm sure, at some point, but I have to go ahead and say it now, right? You have God telling Moses to give, to write this song that will be with the children of Israel through all their generations as a remembrance, to call them back, to show them when they're in error, to lead them back. It's something that Moses is being taken up from the earth, but it's something that he's leaving behind, okay? So you think about Yeshua, who's one with Israel, right? He's been taken up from the earth, but he has left his spirit to lead us into truth and to bring us back to him at all these times, and it's forever, for all generations, right? So just like the former, the latter redeemer will be like the former, Yeshua will be like Moses. You see this perfect parallel here. Moses is about to leave, but he's gonna leave something behind that is a blessing Yeshua said, you know, I'm going, but wait for the Holy Spirit which will come upon you. And he left the Spirit. So we have both the song of Moses, which is the song of the Lamb, and we have the Spirit to lead us and to guide us into all truth and to bring us to return. But what are we returning to? Right? That's that's an important question. We have to know what we're returning to. And to know what we're returning to, we have to know we have to know the past and we have to know the origins right of who we are. They say that those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it right but you have to be careful who you learn the past from <laughs> you have to be careful who you learn the past from and so and and you know, even uh, with some of the revisionist things that have gone on, right, with who does the land of Israel belong to? Did the Holocaust really happen? Right, you have alternate theories of of what true history is. But we know the land belongs to the children of Israel and we know the Holocaust happened and we don't, we don't allow those things to be forgotten regardless of what is taught in the secular world. But beyond that, there's a yeah there there's more there's more to remembering where we come from and and we'll go into that here uh, in just a moment, but the song for an overview we won't read the entire song, but from an overview the song begins in with the greatness of God and then contrasting the greatness of God with the failure of man right and saying that the failure of man is not at any fault of god's and then then the song speaks of God as the father and provider and the creator of all things and the one who pours out blessing on his children and then continues with the people's response of turning away from him despite these things and then the coming judgment followed by God's coming judgment of the nations and ultimately the restoration of Israel. So let's turn to Deuteronomy 32 verse 1. Moses says, Give ear, O heavens, and let me speak, and let the earth hear the words of my mouth. Let my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, as the droplets on the fresh grass, and as the showers on the herb. For I proclaim, for when I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. They have acted corruptly toward him. They are not his children because of their defect, but they are a perverse and crooked generation. Do you thus repay the Lord, O foolish and unwise people? Is not he your father who has bought you? He has made you and established you. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of, your generation, of all generations. Ask your father, and he will inform you. Your elders, and they will tell you. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance... When he separated the sons of man, he set the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the sons of Israel. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the allotment of his inheritance. He found him in a desert land and in the howling waste of a wilderness. He encircled him. He cared for him. He guarded him as the pupil of his eye. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest that hovers over its young, he spread his wings and caught them. He carried them on his pinions. The Lord alone guided him, and there was no foreign God with him. He made him ride on the high places of the earth, and he ate the produce of the field. And he made him suck honey from the rock and oil from the flinty rock. Curds of cows and milk of the flock, with fat of lambs and rams, the breed of Bashan and goats, with the finest of the wheat and the blood of grapes, you drank wine. So here... We've read the first part, right? We haven't gotten to the part of Israel turning. But what we see is the righteousness and the justice of God. We see his perfection, and we see that he is a father and a provider and one who blesses his children. And so really, the children are without cause when they turn away because there was nothing lacking in God for which they would be justified to turn away. Now within this song, you know, I spoke we, we have to know. We have to know where we came from, and we have to know the past. Right? So this song has more to it than, than meets the eye when we we just read curse, or just do a high level overview of it. You we can miss a lot. Within it, um, there's a lot of hints back to even creation. So I want to take a look at uh, 32 verse 10, Deuteronomy 32 verse 10, just a couple slides back. The scripture says, um, he, The scripture says that he found him in a desert land in the howling waste of a wilderness. He encircled him and cared for him and guarded him as the pupil of his eye. All right, within this. When it's saying that he found him in a desert land, okay, specifically, it's speaking of uh, so the the words that were used here in Hebrew actually have tohu and bohu built into them. Now, tohu and bohu, what's that? What's that all about? Right? <laughs> it goes back to creation in Genesis thirty or in Genesis one. Verses one and two. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Okay, so here in Genesis one, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, right? How did our, how did our song lead out? And, and we don't need to jump back and forth but we can just leave it right here. Moses starts out, Give the ear, O heavens, and I will speak, that the earth may hear the words in my mouth. So here's the heavens and the earth. Okay? And the earth was without form and void. And God says that he found Jacob in a desert land in desolation. Tohu vabohu. Right? That's without form and, and void. The land, the earth was tohu Vabohu. Okay? So we're referring back to the creation. And darkness was over the face of the deep. Okay, the next thing that's said here back in chapter 32 was he preserved him like the people of his eye. What's the people of your eye? It's black. Right? Okay? And then he says the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Well, back in, in Genesis or De- Deuteronomy 32, verse 11, right after speaking the people of his eye, he says He's, he was like an eagle arousing its nest hovering over its young, spreading its wings and taking them and carrying them, okay? So what Moses was alluding to was that God created you as a people out of nothing, right? He took a people who were not a people and made them a people. And if you think about it and you look at what happened with Abraham, God chose Abraham and his wife Sarah was barren they couldn't have offspring except by God. So he created a nation, even though physically it was impossible to create that nation. He created a nation out of nothing. And then Isaac and Rebekah, same thing. Rebecca was barren. Then she gave birth to Esau and Jacob. And then Jacob's wife, Rachel, was barren. Right? So over and over again, God was creating from nothing. And so he created this people to be his. So when we were, and then then you think further and going forward. So God has this nation. And then he broadens the pegs of the tent. By through Yeshua opening the door, to Gentiles, people from the nation being brought in and grafted into the Commonwealth of Israel. Right, A people who did not, who were far away from the covenant, stranger. Strangers to God were then brought in, creating something from nothing. So when we look and we say, where do we come from? You know, it's not just a happenstance thing. There was a specific creation with a purpose. So when we're seeking to return to God, we're returning to ourselves, to who he created us to be. We're right? returning, I mean, returning back to who we, he made us to be in the process of returning to him. And then we have to know the past because we can look and see all the examples of what's happened throughout history. And we can begin to see the signposts of when trouble's coming and say, oh, this is kind of like back what we saw in the stories of our fathers, right? And then we can recognize and turn back to God. And that's what it says in Hebrews. I think it's Hebrews where they say these things were shown to us that we might not fall in the in the same way. What is it? Yeah. And and so um so that's that's key, right? So we're made out of nothing and we exist only because of God's provision. Right? In Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 through 17 says God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Yes. Um, Actually, do we have the mic?
1: Can, can you go back to um, Genesis 1 on the board? Sure. It, it, it's just interesting how in the beginning God created the heavens, which is our surrounding, and we're the earth. And he didn't say earths. He said one earth, which is us, his people. Mm-hmm. He created us in his image because we were first formed in him, before we came, became existent. When we were existed, when we did exist, we were without, I guess you could say, form and void because we didn't have his spirit in us. Mm-hmm. So you can look at Genesis 1 as us, as that creation that we were void, we were darkness until he hovered over us and, and we became born again.
0: Mm-hmm. And when he made us a new creation, amen. Yeah, yeah that, and that's, that's, a, that's a key thing is we're made new creations through Him. And then as we walk along by the power of the Spirit, there's times that we do stray. But then it, the thing is to return back to the new creation that we've been made, to know what our true identity is so that we don't <clears throat> stay separated from His presence, His person, and, and the blessings that He has. Now, so we've been made this new creation and grafted in uh, into the kingdom. Really, all who by faith in Yeshua have become a new creation and have become citizens of his kingdom, right? And Yeshua says that we can't exist apart from him, right? In John John 15, verse 4 through 5, he says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Right? So he's saying that we need to abide in him. And we must keep that connection. We exist only because of God's creation. And we continue to exist and to have fruit through abiding in the, in his son, Yeshua. It just says
2: um, in verse 15, it talks about Jeshurun. Mm-hmm. Is that a reference to an overall falling away of the people, or is that a specific person or just a
0: name of the nation that has fallen away, or what is that? It's It's another name for Israel that actually speaks of, most of the time when it's used, it actually speaks of Faithful Israel, faithful? faithful Israel is how it's normally used. In this context, though, you read it and you say, Yish- "Well, it says Yeshurun, but Yeshurun uh, would became fat and kicked." So a faithful Israel became fat and kicked and turned away. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it can be seen as their status before they became fat and turned away. Or it could be uh, a bit of irony saying, you who are supposed to be faithful have not been faithful. So it could, could be interpreted those ways. Okay. All right, so I mentioned earlier too that the Song of Moses and the Song of the Lamb are actually the same thing. Sometimes it's, we, we read Revelation and, and we think perhaps Uh, The song of the Lamb is something different, but in Revelation 15, verses 2 through 4, let's just read that quickly. The scripture says, And I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire, and those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and the number of his name standing on the sea of glass holding harps of God. And they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God, the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. So we will not fear, O Lord, or who will not fear, And O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all the nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. And so within this, they sang the song of Moses, who was the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb saying great and marvelous are your works. So it can be seen that the, these, the statement of great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God, the almighty, righteous, and true are your ways, King of the nations, is essentially appended on to the end of the Song of Moses. But the idea is that this Song of Moses was for all generations. Right? That's what the Scripture said, that Moses would write this for all generations that were to come. And so... When, within the song it speaks, of course, of the children of Israel falling away and then it speaks of judgments and then ultimately God bringing forth the redemption and the restoration. Well, with the redemption and the restoration, you see Yeshua coming to accomplish that. So he's coming to accomplish the song of Moses and carrying it out. And Yeshua's message was one of repent for the kingdom is at hand, right? The kingdom of God is at hand. And many statements that he made and that the apostles made were, spoke about a, a perverse and a crooked generation, right? Those statements would, were intended to call people's mind back to the Song of Moses that spoke of this crooked generation, such that they would say, wait a minute, there's more. He's not just rebuking us. He's calling us to repent and to remember the Song of Moses, which its whole purpose is to cause us to say, wait a minute we become fat and kicked and we've turned from God. Therefore, we need to turn back to God in full repentance and be restored, right? Because Yeshua's message was one of, of potential escape from a coming judgment, right? Where if he did, they could have been preserved. So the key was, are we gonna listen? Um, so I want to go back to the song um i don't oh yeah actually I do in deuteronomy thirty two verse fifteen there's a, a few verses we're not going to read all of this we're going to kind of skip around a little bit, but as I mentioned that Yeshua comes to walk out to carry out the song of Moses, then we can look in verse fifteen it says. It says that Yeshua and forsook God who made him and scorned the rock of his salvation. Okay? Well, the rock of our salvation is Yeshua, right? And when you look at the generation to whom Yeshua came, they, they were in need of repentance. And the leaders of the people rejected Yeshua. They had, they had really rejected God's rule and had accepted Greek or Roman rule. Okay? And they, uh, the Sadducees and some of the Pharisees, they loved <clears throat> their prestige and honor right, more than the word of God and, and who they were called to be. And in that, they scorned the rock of their salvation. And then God's response in verse 20, when he says, I will hide my face from them, okay, and see what their end shall be, for they are a perverse generation. Again, this was God hiding His face from them. Who His? If you think about God's face, as it's His image, His image is hidden from the people, and so Yeshua, taken up, He's been hidden. He's been concealed from the time of His ascension, and and so the and the exile has ensued. Right? There will be a time when His face is revealed again. Right? When Yeshua comes but the image has been hidden. And then the Lord says that they have made me jealous with what is not a God. They provoked me to anger with their idols, so I will make them jealous with those who are not a people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. <clears throat> now, for everyone who's a Gentile and of the nations, I'm sorry that it said you're a foolish nation. <laughs> no, but it's an, another nation, right? And. God brought in the nations into the commonwealth of Israel to reveal well one because he loves all of his people but two part of the the objective there is to actually cause those who are not a people who have come in and who love God and serve him faithfully to spur the hearts of the Jewish people to turn to God to love him and to seek him to do all according to his commandments. And then in Deuteronomy 32, 39, after the judgment has come, let's see. It says, <clears throat> See now, okay, so this is the, the judgment has come. And God says, See now that I, I am He, and there is no God besides me. It is I who put to death and give life. I have wounded, and it is I who heal and there is no one who can deliver from my hand. Right, so despite the affliction of the nations and despite all the trials that came, God still proclaims that he is still on the throne, he's still in control, he is still the deliverer, he's still the healer, and then he says, it's I who put to death and give life. Wouldn't you normally think it's he gives life and puts to death? That would be the natural progression if we're looking at things from the natural perspective. But instead, he puts to death and gives life. This was one of the key scriptures in the Torah that pointed to the truth of the resurrection. Because after death comes life. After death comes life. So even in death, when it looks like everything's over, even in the ultimate trial, of the, eight, of the generation before Messiah's return, there's still life on the other side. And the sages talk about the generations, the generation that will precede the coming of the Messiah. And they see it as a very dark generation, you know, one that has turned away, where apostasy is rampant, where the love of the people will grow cold and Torah-less will, Torah-less, Torahlessness will abound. So both the sages and Paul are in agreement on that, right? Because we do say, that's what Paul says, in in the end, people will turn away. People's love will grow cold. Yeshua warns of it as well. But even out of that death, God can bring life. And that's part of the return, right? It's part of the return. But it requires the people who will humble themselves and hear and respond in faithfulness. So earlier I spoke about how I see the Holy Spirit as kind of paralleling the song of Moses. You know, of course the Holy Spirit's greater than the song, but I still see a connection here in that they're intended to lead and guide and direct God's children back to faithfulness in Him. In John 14, as Yeshua was about to be taken and I, th- I think I probably mention this every time I read from the latter chapters of John. The latter chapters of John here, like from John 12, I think, all the way through, are at the Passover and the Garden. It's all a very short time frame, a lot written in this time. So here in John 14, this was after the Seder or, or during the Seder, I'd, I'd have to go back to verify, but... Uh, In John 14, 16 through 17, Yeshua says, I will ask the Father and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him for He dwells with you and will be in you. And then continuing on in verse 25, He says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring bring to you Bring to your remembrance, easy for you to say, and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you, right? So again, it's the gift given by Yeshua to bring to remembrance all that he said so that we can walk in his ways. And in John 16, verse 7 through 8, he says, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. God doesn't leave us alone in all of this, right? He's with us. And, you know, Yeshua is one with Israel. And God says that when he sends Israel into exile, he goes with Israel into exile, right? And in all that we were afflicted, Yeshua was afflicted. He knows our sufferings. He knows our pain. There's again, that's, there's that oneness, that oneness. So as I was thinking about even more about like oh, a song, what does a song do? A song often tells a story, right? Even the, the Torah was sung, not just read. I mean, I just read it, so I don't know how to sing it. You wouldn't want to hear me sing anyway. But, um, but it's, it's said in a song and the songs help us to remember far better than just memorizing sentences. And, and songs tell a story, as I said, I was, and I was remembering a song from not too long ago uh, by a group, I think, it's, I think they're called Life Song, I don't know. The, the song was Life Song, let's say that. And the song said, May My Life Song Sing to You. And it was singing about you know, the life that we live Does it really tell the story of who we are and who God's made us to be and to tell of God's great works in us and through us? Because we all have a song to sing. We all have a life that can proclaim the goodness of God and leave behind us a legacy, right? Moses left a great legacy, right? And he left a beautiful song. Yeshua left a greater legacy and gave us the Holy Spirit that doesn't mean that any legacy or song that we leave behind is inconsequential. It still matters, even though it would pale in comparison to Yeshua, right? But it still matters because it touches those around us, right? It touches those around us, and each one of us stands as a witness of the goodness of God. And so, God raises up a remnant in days of darkness, to proclaim his goodness, to turn people back and to bring about his purposes. And so we are a part of that. And so it's up to us to choose him such that our life song will declare his glory and his greatness. God's message to his people to repent and come back to him stands through all time. Right? And kind of coming back to the cycle we talked about from Deuteronomy 31. It's the fault was a turning away. God hides his face. And then there's a remembrance of something's wrong, okay? And it's at that point, at that part of felt unease that it should bring us to the point of change and turning to God so that we can walk in full repentance. And it's gonna require introspection. You know, we've been in this period of introspection And looking at who our king is such that we might know him, such that we might walk as he walks. And that's good news, right? This is part of the good news. The gospel without the call to repentance is no gospel at all. Because you, you can't have it. Okay, so it's actually good news that we get this chance to see the king, to humble ourselves, to come before him, to align our hearts with him. And so in this too, you know, I just want to encourage you as we come into Yom Kippur, we come into Yom Kippur with humility and with confidence, confidence in the great mercy of God and the great grace we've received through Yeshua, the forgiveness that we've received and the cleansing through his blood, right? But he can guard our hearts and minds in Yeshua and cleanse our conscience and draw us close to him. And so, yeah, we, we come into this and We've been, we've been saying, may you be inscribed for good, inscribed in the book of life and sealed. And we're sealed by the blood of Yeshua, and now let's walk according, according to that truth and that reality, because we know who we are. We know who he says we are, and it's by his light that we walk. Amen. Did anybody have anything that you wanted to, to share? Okay, one, one moment.
1: It's, it's real interesting how everything from the Old Testament, from Genesis through the end of the Old Testament, all is a foretelling of Jesus. All is a foretelling of preparation. All is a telling of consequences. All is a telling of, of, of mercy and grace. Mm-hmm. And it's beautiful. It's a beautiful story. Amen. I mean, it's a real life story. <laughs> yeah, right. It, it, it's, a, it's a real, thing, real
0: story. It actually happened. People actually had to walk through this. And when you think about the fact that people actually had to walk through these things, it's a lot different when when we try to connect to what was really going on, what were they experiencing and feeling? Because otherwise, it just may not hit home when it needs to hit home.
3: I was just thinking about what you were saying about that um, life song, you know? And it just made me sit there and think about wherein in times when people were suffering, how they would just turn to the Lord and just worship. And how worship is that point of um, of, ex- of exploring our faith even further in that point where we're able to relieve not just the fears and anxieties, but also come into the presence of the Lord and be able to show and be a light and stuff like that. So it just made me sit there and think of just... Um, of just missionary stories I've heard of people going, you know, going to, to death, but still worshiping, mm-hmm. st- still proclaiming. So I don't know. It's just one of those things where you think it would be kind of, um, it's a bad thing, but it's actually also in a sense, it was a freeing thing for them because they knew what was going to happen is that they would be taken to the um, into the Lord. So I don't know. It just made me sit there and think about that for a second. So Yeah. To be faithful all the way to the end.
2: Right. Something that really struck me was the fact that, look at all the, the, the this Song of Moses, I'm not sure I quite a, ever understood it until this morning. I mean, it always seemed to be, it was one of those things at the end of a Deuteronomy, which is hard to struggle through if you're not, but if you realize what, it, what this is, and like you said earlier, this is a message to all ages, and, and, and most profoundly to us today think of how many times he mentions the rock. Now, the people, Moses and those people, the rock was the rock that split in the desert that gave life-giving water. Mm-hmm. And for him to say, I, I like this part in, in verse 21 where he says, indeed, their rock is not like our rock. In other words, men can, can claim something that, that that's solid and, and foundational to them, but it's not our rock. Our rock is, is Christ. Mm-hmm. It's the water, the eternal life that flows from him. And that the word rock is, or the reference to rock is like sprinkled all through this song. And it's just, to me, I thought that was very profound.
0: It is. And, I, and I, I'm glad you brought that up because you're right. The waters that came forth from the rock were life, right? And, and, and we, you know, Yeshua says that he who believes in him, rivers of living water will spring forth from them, right? It's, so that life is an imparted to us. And even at the beginning of the song, when he says, give ear, O heavens, and I will speak, and may the earth hear the words of my mouth. May my teaching drop like the rain, my utterance flow like the dew, okay? He's speaking about heaven coming to earth. He addresses heaven and then earth, and then he talks about rain dropping. Rain comes from heaven to earth and his teaching is likened unto that rain. What was his teaching? It was the Torah. So the Torah came from heaven to earth to give this life, right? And so again too we have the written Torah which is life-giving, but then we have the Torah made flesh that came from heaven to earth to give life and to to find us in the wilderness in those desolate places to bring back light, to bring back life. Yeah.
1: That was always one of my favorite things when I realized that the rock that followed them through the desert was Yeshua. Because uh-huh. in 1 Corinthians 10, it says, and all of them drank that same spiritual water, for they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them, and that rock was Christ. I mean, I was like, this rock is traveling with them in the desert? It was uh-huh. amazing. Yeah. And then when they link it with the New Testament, it was, it's just beautiful. Yeah. Amen.
2: Wasn't the snake on the pole when when they were being bitten by the? It's. It may have some relation. Wasn't the snake on the pole when when they were being bitten by the snakes, and they they, put the snake on the pole, and they told everybody to sit and focus, on on the serpent on the pole was was actually a symbol of Christ, the the, the healing, you know on on, you know hanging on. On the cross, right. or, or whatever it may be, that it was—it was actually symbolic of Christ, mm-hmm. and it brought the healing by focusing. Even though it was a serpent, right? You know, it was still—it was still symbolic, and it was, uh, and, it, and also said something about the honey coming from the stone, sucking the honey from the stone. Also, I didn't—I yeah. I don't know
0: if that had you know in, any reference to that, but I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I don't know about the honey from the stone, but yeah, I did read that, um, and yes, so the the serpent uh, was one of the. Is, Considered a, a hoax, which is in—it's one of God's commands that don't don't make sense in the physical, and uh, specifically with that. So the serpent, um, in gematria, its number is the same. It's Nachash is the word in Hebrew has the same gematria as Mashiach. So Messiah and Nachash. So when they would look to the Messiah, they would be healed, right? And so it's it's really a. Yeah, it's, it's a great thing. But the idea, the, the teaching on that is that it wasn't the, the like I mean the common teaching around this is, was not that the, the snake brought them life, but rather that their obedience to God and doing looking to, to what he told them to look to brought them salvation and healing. Yeah, but anyway, it's, we'll, we'll probably study that when we get around to it. <laughs> it's a great one. Anybody else? Oh, Brett. No, John 3, uh, 14 and fifteen says, "And Moses uh, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life." Amen. So yeah, so there Yeshua made the direct connection to to the, to the serpent raised up on the pole. Yeah, yeah that's really cool, and. and it is such an amazing tapestry that God wove to tell his story. And, you know, he pays attention to all the details and then puts a desire in us to seek out the details, right? I believe it's Proverbs 25.2 said, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter and it's the glory of kings to search out a matter, right? So he's given us an invitation and an opportunity to glory in His, in awe of who He is, by searching out these gems within His Word. Yeah. That's how we become. That's how we have a relationship. Yeah. That's yeah. How we, we know him. Yep. Yeah. It's, it is beautiful. Okay. Anybody else? Okay. All right. Let's let's pray. Lord, we, we love you, and we give you thanks. Lord, for you are awesome. There's no one like you. Lord, we thank you for how much care you've taken in revealing yourself to us, that we might be in relationship with you, that we might walk with you and know you. Lord, I ask that you would stir in our hearts, that you would kindle within us a flame, a desire, a burning desire to seek you out. Lord, to return to you to know where we came from, to know the grace we've received, to know your tender love and your provision and your kindness, your righteousness and your justice. And Lord, may may we return to you, may we seek you, and may our life song sing of you. In the name of Yeshua, amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas.